0: Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older.
1: So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a
0: chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about the early days of television. We bring you another popular ads and fads. We fondly remember drive-in movies. We hear from our chief aging officer, Kathleen O'Brien. We introduce the latest in personal identification, and we present the case for fewer friends. The Old Dogs Conversation is with Sherry Halperin, producer, writer, talent agent, and now a writer of fiction dear to us old dogs' hearts. Stay with us. Well, Paul, yo, what is on that razor sharp mind of yours today? Well, I'll tell you, I was thinking about
1: the early days of television. Uh, we have a pod nugget about uh, Today Show, which, yeah. which started in 1952, mm-hmm. got me thinking about our family transitioned from a radio to a television set, maybe mm-hmm. mid mid 50s, and it had a. a pretty big effect on
0: our family. What sort of effect are we talking about here?
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, the radio was a passive art form. You could turn it on. It was just kind of a background noise. You could do something else. Um, Mm -hmm. But television, suddenly you had to pay attention because there was a visual aspect to the sound also. And so um, I think that's when my brains first started seeping out of my ears, Mm. I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, and it's still happening, Yes, as far it is. As I can tell. I apologize. I'll clean up my mess when Please I Please do, yeah. yeah. But you're right. When TV came into our house, it was riveting. It was fascinating. You could see moving pictures in your home, which until that time, of course, you had to go to the movies to see. And then you went, you sat, you watched it, and you left. But now you could watch this all day, anytime you wanted to. You know, what I
1: remember strongly is we had the first TV set on the block. Mm-hmm. And so after school, kids would come to us, sit in the living room and watch the TV. There was yeah. always a half dozen kids, yeah. uh, you know, on couches and chairs. And when it was dinner time, my mother had to shoo them out. So um, did
0: you uh, score a lot of girlfriends like that, Paul? Uh, I wasn't aware there were girls at that
1: point in my mm. life. But what a shame. <laughs> But now
0: I'm starting to think about it. What did
1: I miss out on?
0: <laughs> so did your family come together more closely because of television? Or did it make a difference? Or did it actually drive you apart somehow?
1: Well, let's. I, I would put it this way. We were all in the same room. There were some arguments over what to watch shows. Sure, next, yeah. You know?
0: What about so. the comedies, though? I mean, didn't the family all get together for the comedies, like Jackie Gleason? Yes. Sid Caesar. As a
1: matter of fact, and, and of course, I love Lucy.
0: Yeah. That yeah.
1: was the one that was never missed in, okay. my, in my family.
0: And we could laugh together about things like that. Right. So that right. was a good family thing.
1: Which makes you wonder, what level was the comedy on that it appealed for <laughs> from a three-year-old to a 70-year-old? Uh, and you're right. It was the variety show and the comedy show at Meldenboro, mm-hmm. uh, which was what? The Texaco Hour? Is that what his... And the singing Texaco uh, quartet. Wow. You remember that at
0: all? Oh. You must live in the past. <laughs> I just have vivid memories, Jim. Where mm. were you? You're older than I am, much older. Oh, I was reading Tolstoy,
1: waiting for the Tolstoy cartoon to come <laughs> on. <laughs> Our ads and fads focus in this episode is on the Today Show, which debuted on January 14, 1952. It was a bold experiment, a daily news-oriented
0: morning TV program that was broadcast coast to coast. The original host was a relatively unknown personality with a relaxed style on camera. He remained the host through the 50s. The show was less than successful in its first year until an unusual co-host was added in the second year. The co-host was temperamental and known for his wild behavior. However, he is credited with saving the Today Show.
1: Our ads and fads challenge is name the host of the Today Show through the 50s and his unpredictable but popular co-host. We'll give you the answers later in this episode.
0: Of all the developments during the pandemic, one was a blast from the past. There was a resurgence of drive-in movies, mostly improvised movie screens in a parking lot... This pod nugget is from the Trivia Genius website. Ours is the last
1: generation that remembers the golden age of drive-in movie theaters. In 1959, there were over 4,000 drive-ins across the country. They had a large fixed screen and a couple hundred parking spots with individual speakers.
0: For one price, you could fill up your car with friends or family. It was a bargain because there were frequent double features. And you could bring your own snacks. Or maybe it was a date night and the movie on the screen wasn't important.
1: Your first challenge was to find a speaker that was still working. This involved moving maybe two or three times. Next, you wanted to find the best location for seeing the movie screen. Sometimes this meant sitting on the hood of your car.
0: Unless, of course, it was a date night and... You weren't looking
1: at the screen anyway.
0: The decline of drive-ins was due to several factors. They could only operate at night and didn't fare well in stormy weather. Studios favored traditional theaters, so drive-ins didn't get the best movies. Home video also took a toll. Today, there are a little over 300 drive-ins left.
1: There's little to hope the industry will be coming back. You can have a much better viewing experience in your living room. But, you know, we can still have fond memories of watching a Frankie Avalon and Annette Funicello Beach movie from the privacy of our own car.
0: Kathleen O'Brien is our chief aging officer and the author of Reclaim Your Right to Grow Old. In this installment of commentary, Kathleen talks about TWO, traveling while old.
2: I just got home from three weeks in Europe only to turn around and fly to San Francisco for four nights. I felt like a flight attendant. Of course, flight attendants generally aren't as old as I am, so they have no idea what it's like to T-W-O, travel while old. And boy, did I get a taste of that in the last month. First, there were the airports. Lines are longer than they were before the COVID shutdown. Gates are farther away, too. Luggage is heavier. We are heavier. We only had carry-ons on both trips, but heaving them onto escalators felt like a tryout at the NFL Combine. You must hurry, always, because there are thousands of young people behind you wondering what's taking so long. At Heathrow Airport in London, I got pulled aside and a security agent threw open my carry-on and literally flung out nightclothes, underwear, ointments, and salves, searching for something. He even put my prescription cream under some kind of scope. I'm all for enhanced security, but the only thing I really want enhanced when I travel is in-flight service that gets me a second glass of wine. Then there are the accommodations. We stayed in an apartment in Stockholm that was 400 years old. It was a walk-up, which was fine. What they didn't tell us was that it was up five flights on a circular staircase, made of stone with railings that weren't always there. The floor from the apartment kitchen was slanted 20 degrees toward the bedroom. If you dropped a Swedish meatball in the kitchen, it would roll, gravy and all, 30 feet to our bed. Is this place up to code? I asked my husband. It was in 1620, he said. We had cabs that didn't show up, a bad room reservation that cost us hundreds, and a screaming woman at the back of the plane who almost delayed our trip home. Maybe the poor woman was traveling while old, which makes me wonder... Why didn't they get her that second glass of wine?'
1: If you think your tongue is only good for licking, you may be in for surprise. Your tongue print could be the fingerprint
0: of the future. This pod nugget is from the Interesting Facts website. Our tongues, like our fingerprints, have a unique shape and texture. So tongue prints are gaining some favor to replace fingerprints and retinal scans as the default identifier of individuals.
1: You see, fingerprints can be altered. And the retinal scans are affected by astigmatisms and cataracts. But the human tongue is relatively protected from
0: this kind of alteration. Now, this is not as intrusive as it may seem. Collecting a tongue print is done digitally, not with an ink pad. But it will take some adjustment to police procedure. Get ready for, you're under arrest. Stick out your tongue. Paul, is there anywhere else on earth that you can get information like this? No. No. There are benefits for having many friends, but perhaps a few close friends is enough for our sense of well-being. This pod nugget is from the Vox.com website. For most people, the pandemic
1: has meant that our circle of friends has shrunk. This is because our social activities have shrunk in number, which were the occasions for connecting with friends. But perhaps we shouldn't be concerned about losing contact with acquaintances if our
0: mutual interests have changed. Psychologist Robin Dunbar published a study in the late 90s that suggested we can only handle about 150 meaningful social relationships, including family and friends. He organized these relationships into five concentric circles of increasing intimacy.
1: The outermost layer is the 150 folks who would show up for your funeral. Mm. The innermost circle, he suggests, is limited to five people. These are the folks who will drop everything to come to your
0: aid in a crisis. The layers come about primarily because the time we have for social interaction is not infinite. The strength of relationships is proportional to the time and effort we give them. The innermost circle of five people is robust because of the time you have invested in them and the comfort level you have when together. Keep
1: in mind that these numbers aren't firmly fixed. The layers are affected by your personality type and life circumstances. For example, extroverts tend to have larger circles –
0: Life changes like a new job or a divorce may shrink your circles. And the numbers start to decline into old age. We progressively lose the outermost layers as our social interactions shrink and our friends die. The obvious lesson is cherish those close relationships, but accept the changes to our circle of acquaintances as a normal part of growing old.
1: (laughs) Give me a hug, Jim.
0: Paul, am (laughs) I one of the five? You can be honest. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. So are you. We're back with the answers for our ads and fads challenge. The original host of the Today Show was Dave Garroway. His temperamental co-host was a chimp named Jay Fred Muggs. J. Fred was extremely popular with audiences and even had his own line of celebrity merchandise.
1: As he got older, the chimp became meaner. He was eventually removed from the show when he viciously bit comedian Martha Ray, who was a guest on the show. You know, fame is notoriously fleeting in show business, especially if you bite other celebrities.
0: Sherry Halperin has been connected in many ways to the entertainment business, from distributing feature films, agenting actors, directing stage productions, and working on hundreds of hours of network and cable television, Sherry has made her mark as a writer, producer and director. Producer and director. Director. Lately, though, she's found her voice as an author of humorous fiction aimed squarely at old dogs like us.
1: Sherry, you have a pretty deep career as an actress and a director. no, no,
3: no, no, never an actress, never wanted to be in front of the curtain, always behind.
1: Mm. Ah, okay.
3: My first job was equity stage manager at a theater called Cecilwood Theater in Fishkill, New York, and uh, I did... Five summers of summer stock there from the time I was, oh, about 15 or 16 on, and uh, had some pretty neat roommates and people that were at the theater, uh, Pete Fonda, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Robert Walker Jr., and a little girl by the name of Barbara Streisand.
1: Could you tell they were going to be stars?
3: Barbara, absolutely. Absolutely. Um Dustin and Peter, yeah, um, Jane would come down on weekends and hang out with us.
1: So you were a successful and busy producer, director. Uh, when did you make that shift to being a writer?
3: It happened at different periods of my life. When my kids were young, I wanted to do something creative, and my husband encouraged me So I wrote my first magazine article and the first article sold. And it was in a magazine called Today's Health. So I got a taste of writing and that it could be a career. Then I I was asked to write a children's television show for ABC called Domingo. And I wrote that show for three years and uh, it was perfect because I could write at home I was living in Orange County and be able to drive into LA in an hour and a half, go to production meetings at ABC, go on location for a week, and then be back at home for a month or two writing again with the kids and go back and forth. So that, that was a great job.
0: Sherry, I imagine you have certain opinions about working in writers' rooms. Uh, what was your experience?
3: I was in a writer's room for uh, the show, Archie Bunker's Place.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And I would it would take me four hours of travel to get from where we were living to L.A. And my husband basically said, hmm, that's not great for the kids. And I realized he was right. And I had to choose between a marriage and a show. And I made the right choice. I chose the marriage. So I got home, and I needed to do something creative. And do you remember there used to be something called Yellow Pages?
1: Yes, vaguely. <laughs> so and, and something called White Pages. Though. Yes.
3: <laughs> thick books with all kinds of businesses in it. And I took out the Yellow Pages, and I started with A, and thank goodness I found Audiovisual. And I found a company 15 minutes from where we were living uh, that did medical educational films. And I went on an interview, and I said, I'm a writer. You know, they said, great. Write a script, a half-hour script for uh, medical students called Making an Occupied Bed. And I wrote And they said it was the worst script they had ever read.
0: Oh, that was honest.
3: Yeah. But they said I had a great background and would I like to join the company and do their casting, location scouting. And eventually, I got to direct the films. And I did 56 films with them over a nine-year period. And that was great because I could still be a Cub Scout leader and bake cookies for my kids' classes. So it, it was wonderful. And I got to do something creative. We still
1: don't have that transition to writing books. Well. Tell us about that.
3: uh, Sadly, my husband passed away in 1994. And about a year later, I moved to Los Angeles. I was offered to do a pilot uh, for a television show I had done many years before. It was called Everybody's Talking. It was a quiz show on NBC and I said, of course. So I moved to Los Angeles from Orange County. And I started dating a year after. I was 50 years old. And I'd come home from the dates and I'd write a little note about what the date was. And I'd call a girlfriend and we would laugh hysterically. And I started to give these guys names like comb over, liar, liar, pants on fire.
0: <laughs> I never thought I was going
3: to do anything with it. And I figured I have some spare time. I became an agent again. Jessica Alba was one of my clients. And then I distributed uh, feature films for 11 studios But I wanted to write. So I went to UCLA and took novel writing classes. And I was writing a very heavy murder mystery in class. After I couldn't find parking places in LA, I moved to uh, Palm Desert area in La Quinta. And I was still writing this murder mystery. And I thought, I want to make people laugh. I don't like writing heavy, heavy things. So I found on my computer this file with all of these men and the names I had given them. And I thought, wow, I'm going to write a book about dating after 50. (laughs) And I started writing like crazy. And I was about maybe 60% finished with the book. And my kids were at a holiday party, my son and daughter-in-law. And they, you know, when you go to a party, say, hi, my name is Sherry. What do you do? And this woman replied to my son, oh, I'm an editor at a publishing company. He said, oh, my my mother's writing this book. (laughs) And she said, oh, well, have your mother call me, gave my son her card. Well, I waited till about the second week in January, called her, and she said, okay, give me the five-minute pitch. And I did. And she said, okay, we know you can talk, but can you write? Send me what you have. And I said, well, I only have about… 60%. Well, I sent it to her. A week later, I get a phone call saying, I love the book. I'm going to have the other editors and the higher-ups read what you have so far. Within two weeks, I had a phone call that said, we're buying your book. And by August, I had a draft of the book, and it came out the following January. And it was a huge success. It was called, it is called Rescue Me, He's Wearing a Moose Hat, and 40 Other Dates After 50. (laughs) It sold over 10,000 copies, was on two bestseller lists. It was optioned by Frank Darabont. Finally, Frank sadly lost his first look deal with Paramount, which provided us with the funds to have scripts done, and the film was not made. So I went on and did other things, but I really did not want to be a one-book wonder. So I started thinking, what else can I write? So I came up with an idea for and titled the book, Just Call Me Lady. And when I was living in Los Angeles, I had an idea that if I bought a fake title and lived that life for one year, how would it change my life? If I became a duchess or a lady or, you know, some type of royalty. And it almost got made by uh, 2020, actually. And it did not, sadly. But that idea kept churning in my head. And I wrote, just call me lady. Now, my agent, meanwhile, retired. So I didn't have anyone to send it out to publishers, the publishing company that had published my first book totally changed the genre of what they were publishing. So they weren't interested in it. And I decided, okay, I'm going to publish it myself. And it was the beginning of the pandemic. Well, it was a totally different experience. I created the cover of the book myself. But then I had to have someone do the spine and the back. And I had to get people to do reviews for the back. I had to copyright it. I had to have the pages paginated so that it fit into an ebook or a paperback book. And I had to figure out how I'm going to market it. Well, I did it. And I'm very proud of it. And it was presented to Hallmark by some producers. It would make a fabulous television movie. Hallmark thought about it for about four months and then decided that it was a little too risque for them. You know, if you watch a Hallmark movie, they don't kiss until the last 15 seconds of the movie. So I started thinking, what else can I write? And I got another idea for a book and started writing. And the title of this book is Mistress Molly and Her Senior Sex Club. And in the dedication, I say to my children, I am not Mistress Molly. (laughs) And that book wrote very quickly for me. I did not have an agent, uh, even though I had a bestseller book. So I decided, again, I would publish it myself. And it just came out last week. The book is very funny, and it deals with a positive look at aging. The theme of at any age you can do anything, uh, friendship, senior romance, senior sex, um, lots of very positive looks at what it's like to be in your 70s.
0: Are you working on your next book?
3: I'm not sure if there will be a next book, and if so, what it will be about. I was 63 when I wrote my first book I produced my first feature film at 65 I wrote my second book at 76 and my third book is being released now and I'm 79 years old so I hope that I can be a shining star for people that want to do things in the third act of their life I feel that I still can do anything
0: Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We can always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so
3: stay tuned and keep howling at the moon.